All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. to the photo work podcast the talky and in this case extremely touchy-feely maybe even a little warm and cozy version of my book photo work 40 photographers on process and practice as usual i am sasha wolf and i'm back recording today in my upstate hideaway at the bearsville theater so thank you bearsville always happy to be back here uh, recording virtually as usual with my friend and producer and podcast mogul without equal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Racking up the podcasts like <laughs> chips at a poker table. <laughs> Michael Chauvin Dalton. Hello, Michael. Oh, hello. It's, it's raining podcasts over here. <laughs> you are sort of moguling out, but we're not going to give too much away. But just just you're expanding the universe. Or, yes. or you're at least thinking, seriously considering expanding the universe. Absolutely. Yep. Maybe there'll be more on that down the road. Yeah. Well, we wish you well. You know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> am, I, am I, wait, am I going somewhere? I know. God, what am I doing? I mean, there was nothing um, subliminal about that. So, Michael, um, just before I ask you how you are, um, I just want to remind... <laughs> That's why I have some time to think about it. <laughs> if you're not good, come up with some cover story. Um, so, I just want to remind our listeners that um, we have worked out a deal. Is it a deal? I don't know what it is. But any, anyway, something with <laughs> Aperture, where if you go to the Aperture website and you want to buy some books, um, when you go to check out, put in PhotoWork30 under the discount code section, and you will get 30% off. So go do that. Now you may tell me how you are. Oh, good. Thank you. All I could come up with is, I'm good. <laughs> well, that's a good. I mean, if you're genuinely good, then that's... These days, I feel, I keep saying that, you know, when people say, how are you? I'm like, well, assuming we're grading on a pandemic curve. Yes, so, um, true. I feel like right now, good is, is in real life, is like great. Yeah. Sort of. Did that make sense? I think it, so. it does make sense. Yeah. Uh, I, I might be one of the few people who uh, enjoys uh, being at home with my, just my uh, immediate family for Thanksgiving. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be cynical about it. I, I know people missed visiting others, but I, I, I kind of enjoy the, I think I think because of all the craziness of this year, I kind of enjoy the, the smaller, quieter Thanksgiving. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's there some good news happening uh, in this country right now, and one of them is the potential for some real vaccines. Uh, looking forward to that. Which is amazing, that. yeah. I think we all felt there would be a light at the end of the tunnel, that we weren't stuck with this forever, but this gives us a little bit more of a, yeah, a concrete sort of sense of end, which is yeah. really a relief. Yeah, it um, means, uh, you know, more, hopefully more time in the lab with my students and... Maybe some time in the podcast booth with you and our guests. Yeah, man. Oh my God, I can like, <laughs> I can like, fire my pea shooter at you just to tease you. Like, like, you know, we're, we're like, I think this is the sort of thing I did. Like some like boy I thought was adorable. Um, 
or girl when I was like six or seven, you know, this is the kind of thing that would get me sent to, to the principal's <laughs> office. So when we're when we're recording in the same room together again, I'm going to I'm going to fire some spitballs at you. I hope you don't mind. Well, if they're going to be real spitballs, maybe we should wait a few more months I'll use for frozen the vaccine peas. to kick I'll in. I'll use frozen peas. Use, man, God. such a stickler. That's right. Don't be fussy. So I think we had a really fun episode this week. It's a conversation with my old friend Jillian Lab, great portrait photographer. I thought it was really great. I mean... It's obvious where we really uh, have a lot of affection for each other. And, and I just decided not to, you know, I don't think I've tried to play it cool in any ep- episode so far, but um, I definitely was sort of just let it all go there. Yeah, I think I think cozy was the, the, the right word for this yeah. episode. Yeah, no, I think all of that, plus when Jillian is speaking sort of more personally about her practice... Um, you really get this sense that she has this openness and willingness and, and earnestness um, in her practice. And, and it just seems like that comes through in her work. Yeah, no, I it does come through. In her, Julian's one of the warmest people I know. I mean, I, I, I just think she's like in the category of delicious, delicious humans. Hmm. And I think that that big heartedness, that genuine interest in other people is just you know, in her work and allows her to do the sorts of projects that she's done. I really want to urge our listeners to watch Jillian's brilliant HBO documentary called Southern Rights. Mm -hmm. Um, It's on HBO, HBO Max, um, and I'm sure you can rent it other places. It's uh, the film's sort of an offshoot of this long-term project called Southern Rights, this photographic project that she started working on first in 2002, I believe. But anyway, about four or five years ago, she made this documentary, or she completed this documentary about this this area in Georgia. Anyway, it's really incredible. And she and I do talk about it a lot. And I, and I, I'd love people to see it. Yeah, it's um, the way it's put together, the way it connects these different storylines, I think is really genius. Yeah, I do too. So that's a really fun part of the conversation. And you know what else I really loved was when she talks about her first camera, and we we won't give it away. (laughs) Yes, that's great. (laughs) Uh, It is a fantastic story. I mean, people, it's always really moving to me because, you know, my father passed away a few years ago, made television commercials when I was a kid, and that's how... I got into photography, you know, I had my first camera when I was a really little kid, and then my father taught me how to do a lot of things that led me into becoming a filmmaker. And, and anyway, so, you know, I, I love hearing how people sort of first started, and Julian's case, she was six, but her story is particularly both funny and sort of amazing, really, honestly. It is. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, the other the other thing about when she's speaking more personally is uh, she talks about uh, having patience with the work. And yes. uh, she even says it's it's not about the end. And I think that's such a, a great way to approach oh my God, any kind totally. of long-term work. Yes, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. And you know what I was thinking also, because I know we have Doug Dubois coming up. And I don't think he's going to be the next episode, but the one after that. Um, I haven't recorded that yet. But I was thinking about how I've talked to Eleanor Carucci and now Julian Lab and then Doug Dubois. And they all you know, share that sort of, that way of working where projects 
can take decades or in Eleanor's case, sort of a lifetime mm-hmm. and how they sort of navigate that. And, and Jillian does get into that. And it's really interesting and I think really valuable. And I also think Jillian as a hardcore portrait photographer, really, that is what she is. I think yeah. it says a lot of things that are going to be really helpful to people who do portraiture. Absolutely. All right. Well, so why don't we get to it? Michael, always great talking with you. And if you don't you mind, please take it away. Uh, my pleasure. And here is your conversation with Jillian Laub. Julian Laub, welcome to the Photo Work Podcast, and thank you so much for you know being with me this morning. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be in conversation with you. You know, when I was thinking about today, our recording, I um, <laughs> realized that you know the amount of research I did and going back and looking at all your work, and I was like, you know, I realized, well, once again, I have to tell um, my listeners that you and I are old friends and I'm starting to feel slightly like it's sort of the Sasha Wolf's old friends podcast, (laughs) but um, I just not going to pretend otherwise. So we've known each other a really long time. And um, as you know, I've been a really big fan of your work for a really long time because I tell you that. And I often use you as an example when I'm talking to photographers who are interested in portraiture, I often use you as an example of, you know, excellence. Mm, Thank you. But getting ready to talk with you today, I, you know, I went on this just really deep, deep dive into the work and started to sort of push myself to, you know, just think about it in a deeper way in the way I would think about it if you know, I were working with you if you were one of my artists where I have to really, really push myself to question a lot. Why do I like this? Why does this work for me? Why does this make me feel a certain way, et cetera? And then just, just really sort of get into it. And as you know, I was really, you know, very overwhelmed by the work and having such a, you know, really deep, getting into that very sort of deep space with it and I couldn't control myself and I wound up calling you a number of times and you you said you kept saying to me because you're an adult you kept saying saying save it for the podcast and I was like but I can I have to just tell you how I feel right now (laughs) um but as I said to you I there was there'd be no problem of running out of things to say because the amount of just sort of incredible you know, depth and humanity in your work is takes the viewer on such incredibly deep and emotional journey. And because you've had a long and sort of really prolific career, there's a ton to talk about. But for the sake of this podcast, you know, sort of decided to focus on two big bodies of of work. One is called Southern Rights and the other is called Family Matters. So that's that's what we'll sort of frame mm-hmm. things around. But yeah. before we get into that nitty-gritty, like I ask every guest if you could just give listeners a sense of how you got to where you are today in your your photographic journey. Okay. Well, well first I want to say just 
I've loved listening to your podcast and it's just, it's amazing to see what a champion you are and what a beautiful relationship you have with all of your artists. And, you know, you say all your friends because I feel like there's no line between who you work with and friendship that it really, it feels like your artists are your friends and you're so invested in them. So I just, it's been wonderful to to listen to your podcast, to hear those relationships. Thank you. So I'll begin. Um, it feels, my relationship to photography feels a little bit of a cliche because I fell in love with photography when my grandfather gave me my first camera, a Polaroid, instant Polaroid camera at the age of six. And <laughs> luckily I'm a hoarder. Um, <laughs> and I still have all of those Polaroids that I made when I was six. So, oh my God, amazing. Yeah, it's really interesting to look at them now because I am posing people and directing them the same way that I do now. So I have pictures wow. of my babysitters. You know, they were teenagers then who lived down the street you know, posed on my bed and I have a couple of different takes of them. And then I have, when I went to camp, I have different friends posed at the flagpole. Anyway, I just find it amazing to see that. Oh, that I didn't know that. That is incredibly funny. I mean, I just love the idea of you like being the little sort of <laughs> the director of everything. I mean, that's just fantastic. I, I mean, talk about personality being set at an early age. I, I really did. And do you know that I even at camp um, orchestrated a strip volleyball game so I could photograph it? <laughs> oh, my God. That is fantastic. I, I, it's, you know, I remember Amy Arbus. She was a teacher of mine, and she actually said, God, some of your best pictures were when you were six through nine. <laughs> really (sighs) anyway so then I in in high school and I I won't make this really long I just I think it's really interesting to looking back on those early influences and in high school I had this teacher Mr. Swain who is also Josh the artist Josh Lutz's photo teacher and Mr. Swain had us do the Dwayne Michaels assignment and that's when I really fell in love with the relationship between photographs and text. And I will never forget that. I, I, that was my favorite, my favorite class I've ever taken in my life. So do you want to tell people what that assignment was exactly? Yeah. So we did a character study and I still have it um, in a cardboard accordion. And I did the character study on my father and I wrote about my father and made different portraits of him, of all the things that made his character who he was, which is kind of amazing now that I'm still making pictures of my father and I'm 45 years old. And writing a lot of text. And writing. I mean, you're basically doing the the same thing. That's- yes, yes. So I can't escape myself. So there we go. And and that is really when I started. And then I went to ICP. And the, the thing that really was incredible about ICP is that they had these Wednesday lectures And I would just soak them up. And I just remember all of these incredible artists coming to speak on Wednesdays. I remember Gordon Parks, Roy DeCarava, Susan Mizellis, Sophie Call. I mean, it was just unbelievable to get. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. So I went to ICP and then I really didn't know what it was like to, what it really meant to work as a professional in the world. So 
I started asking a lot of questions and what do I do? How do I how do I do this? So I I started photographing my family and it was work that I was doing more so for myself. I didn't even have any critiques about this work, but I soon realized that this was becoming a compelling body of work and I started I started calling different magazines and asking when their portfolio drop off was and which is another thing that doesn't exist anymore. And I remember the New York Times magazine portfolio drop off was Tuesday and Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And that was really a magazine that I dreamt of being in because I thought that the use of photography was so brilliant. And I dropped my portfolio off not knowing anyone. And I remember getting that phone call from Kathy Ryan. I still, because of my hoarding, <laughs> have that recording, <laughs> have oh that God. recording archived oh God, uh, when she and, and Jody Kwan, my first assignment. So they, they called me up and in asked me questions about all of these photographs. And the first photograph of my family was published in the New York Times column, the what they were thinking. And my my grandparents and aunt and uncle were interviewed for that. And then I was commissioned to go on my first cover story for them. And then simultaneously, I dropped my, you know, naively and without knowledge of the gallery world, was dropping my book off at galleries. And Bonnie Ben Ruby called me and asked me in when I had dropped my portfolio off to her. And she put one of my images in in a group show, and that started my relationship with her. And that's a gallery, even though very tragically, Bonnie passed away about, gosh, what was it, about five or six years it ago was, now? It was actually eight years ago. Eight, oh my God. I should just add like three years onto whatever I think it is it's going to be. No, huh? it's it feels a lot less, but I just know that because I went to her funeral a couple of weeks after I gave birth to my daughter. So I just, oh, I remember that gosh. vividly. Yeah, I remember I was there. Yeah, I remember that day quite well. Mm -hmm. Bonnie was just an incredible gallerist and very warm to me and encouraging. When I first started, she was one of the few people, Tom Gitterman and Bonnie, were both really important to me when I started out. She was just such a wonderful gallerist, but the gallery goes on and you're still with that gallery. So it's a long relationship and wonderful relationship. It's really sort of amazing because, I mean, you really... You know, you're sort of like uh, optimistic and, as you say, naive, but that naivete obviously sort of worked really well for you, and and you got out of the gate really quickly. I mean, sort of unusual. Yeah, it definitely feels like I got lucky. Well, I don't think it's luck, but it, it worked out, obviously, really well for you. So I'm going to, um, if you don't mind, just I'm going to read, because I, I want to get into you know, your method of making work, because I think the way you work is extraordinary. And I I think really important to sort of get into the background of for a lot of our our listeners Mm -hmm. who are working in in a similar vein. So I'm going to read your answer from my book that you contributed to, Photo Work. Mm -hmm. The question is, what comes first for you, the idea for a project or individual photographs that suggest a concept? And this is what you said. And and just to our listeners, this is a long answer, but it's really important. So please listen and bear with me. So you said, all of my projects start with an idea, which is quickly followed by making my first images. When a subject starts to keep me up at night, I know it will evolve into something larger. 
At that point, the arc is very similar with most of my projects. Several weeks are spent focused on making photographs, interviewing, and filming, followed by many months in the editing room, studying and digesting the work. Once I have fully processed that material, I then go back to make more work. This process can go on for years, which is sometimes how long it takes to figure out the most effective way to build a narrative. One example of this is my project Southern Rights, which emerged over the course of 12 years spent getting to know the community of Montgomery County, Georgia. It started in 2002 as a commission for Spin Magazine to photograph the local high school's racially segregated homecoming and prom rituals. I was so haunted by what I witnessed that I kept returning, hoping the exact shape of the project would reveal itself. A few years later in 2009, some of my photographs and audio interviews were published in the New York Times Magazine, bringing national attention to the town for the first time and serving as the catalyst for the integration of the proms the following year. Yet I knew the proms were part of a larger story that I still hadn't managed to fully uncover. I kept photographing and I began filming. Then in 2011, the murder of an unarmed young black man whose family I had come to know over the years by an older white man seemed to confirm every assumption about the legacy of inequality and prejudice that the community was struggling to relinquish. A larger story needed to be told. So the project, which began as an exploration of segregated high school rituals, evolved into a decade-long mandate to confront painful, deeply rooted national realities in a feature-length documentary film, a book, and a traveling exhibition. I definitely did not see what it would turn into when I got that original commission. But that's how it often is with me. The subjects determine the shape of their own stories. So that's one of my favorite answers to that question in the book. So thank you for that. I'm so grateful to get that because I knew immediately just how much is in that answer. Hmm. It's so interesting and it's so informative. So, you know, for a photographer at all interested in working in this sort of long-term study of groups of people, communities, areas, like you do, there's just there's just so much there. Hmm. I mean, I have a million questions, <laughs> but I guess I, I guess the the first one is sort of in some ways the most obvious. You you just talked about this long term project that you've been doing of your family, and let me just say that a big and I think what's going to be extremely important book is going to be published this spring by Aperture of that work, then you're you're bringing that down the home stretch right now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's so interesting because that is so personal, your family. Yeah. And this is so, you're this sort of, not the sort of, you are a the white. The outsider. You're the outsider, this this woman from the, the East Coast. A white um, East Coast Jew. Right, going down to Georgia and insinuating yourself into this community. And it goes from this you know, small project into actually having an impact on some of the rituals, a word you use um, there, but also you wind up making this just extraordinary 
feature documentary that I, I urge people to watch called Southern Rights. It's on HBO, HBO Max. And it is an incredible film, Jillian. I mean, it, it, I had seen it before and I rewatched it the other day getting you know ready to talk to you and and my mind was blown because of you know this incredible combination of your warmth and just your big heartedness mixed with your incredible aesthetic sense I mean, it's so beautiful there are so many shots in that film that are so staggeringly beautiful and i really believe of course helps people stay involved in this difficult subject. I mean, that's that's so often what a beautiful piece of artwork can do is sort of seduce you into, so you stay there and then you, you tackle what's difficult. But anyway, sorry, I could just go on and on <laughs> talking about how great you are. But can you, can you talk about what that was like? How do you do that? How do you go into a community where you don't know anyone and where you are such an outsider? And I know you'd had some trouble there and people threatening you and whatnot. So yeah, okay. So it it was a long. You know, I still I never feel like anything is finished. I my relationships with the community and people still continue. So it's hard to wor- talk about it in the past tense because I feel like I'm still involved. Yeah, well, don't. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, look, I I was very conscious and aware of the fact that I was an outsider. And I felt, I feel like with that comes a great responsibility to do right and to also constantly question yourself about going in. And at first, when I spent time in Montgomery County, I wasn't sure about my place and I I didn't ask direct questions because there were some people I remember, some of the white families were like, ah, this isn't about race. I don't, I don't want to talk about race. This isn't. And I kind of, you know, backed off because that was just jarring to me because it was so obviously about race. Mm-hmm. And I think that it really takes time to get to know with any relationship. It, t- it really takes time. And I'm never in a rush. I'm, I don't believe in helicoptering in. It's really time to me is everything. Seeing things evolve how things, you know, unfold, and I'm patient. So where do you get that? I mean, I, I don't want I want you to answer like, I, I don't want to take us too far down a different path with this question here. But I think it's so important because so many artists today are so impatient. To me, it's not about the end. It truly I don't mean to sound like a cliche. But it really is about for me, I need to understand and it I'm like a a little bit of a slow learner. I need to understand. And it takes me a while to understand and to figure it out. So if that's... Well, I think that's humility, by the way. But anyway, go on. I don't know what it is. I just look. There's a lot of people... I can't tell you how many times I remember the producer on the film was like, this film is finished, okay? We ran out of money. We have to finish this (laughs) film. And I said, no, it's not finished. This is not finished. So we had to put the film on hiatus, raise more money, and wait for a specific character. So it's just... You know, I trust my gut. That is one thing that I think is very important because there will there will be a lot of people who don't agree with the time you're taking and I and I feel like it's important to trust your gut and I did and every time I don't trust my gut, I I kick myself because it it ends up being true that I should trust my gut. Sorry, that didn't sound right. I have to No, no, yeah. no. I, I no, no. I I'm I'm with you and I I've 
I've said this to people many times in my own practice. Anytime I don't turn over every stone, like preparing an exhibition in the old days, mm-hmm. if I ever rushed anything, I, I paid for it. I, I, right. I, I felt I didn't do the best I could, and it it would just absolutely haunt me. I mean, if I made a mistake having done the best I could, I could live with that. Yep. But if I'd made a mistake because I, I rushed something, it was excruciating. And now I, I'm like you, I won't rush anything. I mean, I think these are such important lessons. It's, it's So I think it's important to say them and underline them. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. So I just, you know, the proms, I knew when I started to go down to Georgia that, you know, the proms were a symptom of something larger. And I wasn't going to it wasn't stopping at the proms. You know, I just, I needed to understand this community at large. So that's why I just kept going. It just, it took a while. And I also had no idea how to make a film. And the truth is, you know, that's when I got a little bit frustrated and, and, and I am a photographer first and I will always feel like a photographer first, but it was the one time where I felt like images were not it, they weren't enough for me. They weren't showing the nuance that I needed, that I was thirsty and hungry for. So I knew that I needed to, and that's when I started audio recording. Interview was always part of my practice, but then I, I learned how to start filming. And also another thing with taking time, I made so many mistakes, I can't tell you. There's so much important footage that I felt like was important footage, but I had no idea how critical sound was. So it was unusable because the sound was horrible. So I really learned by trial and error. You are in the film periodically in the, you know, we hear you asking questions, which I love because when you don't when you don't have the filmmaker asking questions, then the person being interviewed has to incorporate the question in their answer, which yeah. is a very typical way of doing uh-huh. it. Unfortunately, that doesn't sound very natural. So right. when you leave the, the director, you, in the film asking the question, it's a more natural moment. And so there are these just heartbreaking, really moving moments where you ask these very difficult questions, mostly of the older white man who's, you know, I don't want to be coy about, I mean, the film sort of centers around this murder of this young black man by this older white man. And Mm -hmm. the fact that he sits down and talks with you about it, and you you ask him these difficult questions, I mean, it's just sort of extraordinary. So I'm I'm wondering how do you get to the point where you you develop that bond and you have that trust? I think that, and this goes with photography, with when I do an interview, I think that I am a genuinely interested, curious person, and I'm not trying to put anyone on the spot. I, I really am looking for people to share their truth and their the way they see the world through their lens and that is truly like just the heart of it you know i i want people whose portrait i'm making to feel like they are you know revealing them the truth of themselves the essence of themselves and the same goes with the when i interview someone you know it's not about what i think about that person or what i'm bringing there it's it's about allowing a space that feels safe for somebody to share their truth how does that translate when working with your family 
where, you know, it's so much more fraught because, of course, they know mm-hmm. how you feel about them, right? So <laughs> in a way, you can't maintain that same well, the same amount of open-mindedness, right? Well, it's we have to give a little context about the family work. Yes, so, please. So the family work, you know, I, I didn't really start photographing my family thinking it was a project. You know, as anyone, and I think that a lot of people, I'm sure, have the same experience when they're, you know, in art school trying to figure out their identity. And it's like how, you know, certain people start with self-portraiture. So really... I did that with my family, not really self-portraiture, but really looking at my family to try and understand my place in the world. And, you know, I often felt like an outsider, but I was in my family, but I was also really enamored with, you know, the relationship between my grandparents. And, you know, so I wasn't even conscious until, again, that's why I say time really reveals things because I wasn't really conscious of the impact of this work until many years later when it I realized that I'm I really was looking at this family who was you know aspiring for such like this American dream so to me it just all represented the aspiration of an American dream and then in 2016 it really took a turn and I think Again, in all the projects, like in Southern Rights, there's always a point where something just naturally takes a turn because, right, that's life. Things change and happen and evolve all the time. Absolutely, yeah. So in 2016, it really became – it was one of the most difficult years for me and for many others because my parents became passionate Trump supporters. And um, that's... so let me just let's just just set up a little bit. You come from Westchester, and you come from a, a an affluent Jewish family, but a family that has been affluent for you know one generation or two generations. Correct. So, so your grandparents worked extremely hard, and your your grandparents and brothers, their brothers and sisters. So that that family sort of it's a typical immigrant story where right. my great grandparents came here. They were escaping pogroms in Russia. They came here with nothing. My great grandfather was a butcher. He saved up money. He built his you know. So they they built a real estate business, and it really prospered with my grandfather. And my father went into business with his wife's father. So, And your family, this extended family, I mean, your grandfather and grandmother, who were extremely important both in this body of work as sort of protagonists, but also, of course, in your life, passed, passed away a number of years ago, but mm-hmm. after living very long lives. Yeah. And your family has been incredibly close. Yes. Very, very yes. close In a family, tribal, in a very tribal Very way. tribal, which is also interesting because you seem to make all your projects, and you use the word tribe in an answer in my book, and I actually want to ask you about that, so it's <laughs> glad to use that word tribe. Okay, so, so you're part of this incredibly close family, but you're you always feel a little bit of an outsider because th- there's a certain kind of ju- just a certain kind of ostentatiousness and and whatnot that you're you really don't identify with and I call it in the book a too muchness <laughs> of too, everything. I know I love that yeah too muchness um, and we're Not referring to a book that hasn't come out yet right. but I've been lucky enough to see a um, preview of but okay in 2016 
you know, you always have felt a little different from your family, but now, and I'm so many people are going to be able to relate to this. It it goes from feeling a little bit different to this feels obviously horrifying. Yeah, your parents becoming involved with Trump. It was it was shocking and depressing and just I mean I thought I was going through postpartum depression because I had just given birth to my second daughter and it could have been a little bit of postpartum but I I think mostly it was just this it was post-Trump election depression correct yeah so I again I was in I was very ashamed of this and couldn't really process it didn't know how so again I feel thankful for photography and being able to make work about what you're struggling with to really get through it. And that's how I dealt with it. And that's how I confronted it. And I'll just say one thing that I, Pop-Up Magazine, which is so incredible, and they, it's a night of multimedia storytelling. And they had asked me to contribute something. And the safe thing about Pop-Up Magazine is that it doesn't exist on the web. If you weren't in the audience, if you weren't there to experience it in person, it never existed. So Pop-Up Magazine is a really safe place to kind of share material because you know it will disappear the next day. It won't be on the internet. <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. Well, I'm happy to say I was there that night in the audience. So I, uh... <laughs> so I created this piece and it was so cathartic for me. I mean, it was actually painful. I remember writing the piece and having stomach aches every time I just sat down to write it. But it was a very cathartic moment for me when I sat down and wrote the story about what I went through in 2016 with my family. And what was amazing to me was at that time when we we did that pop-up performance, I realized it wasn't you know, I always question, like, why do people this isn't this isn't a real valuable project, my family. It's valuable to me, but how is it valuable to anybody else? Like, who cares about my family? Everyone has a family, you know. So I always was insecure about my work with my family as being real work or real project. And then mm-hmm. something changed because I realized that so many people reached out to me and said, oh my God, thank you so much. I'm going through the same thing with my family. I'm just so grateful that it's like, it's what what work is supposed to do. It's, it's supposed to resonate yes. with people yeah, make, and have people feel less alone in the world. And it's like, wow, okay, this is this is touching on something. And, and people really responded to it in a way that felt like it was – it was larger. It was a larger story than just about my family. It was a story about a lot of American families. And and that's when I felt like, okay, I trusted my gut. There's something really powerful here. And what's really interesting, if, in my opinion, is that, yes, it's it's so specific to what's going on right now and the way that families are, are being separated over, you know, where you fall as far as uh, pro or anti-Trump. But mm-hmm. this this book that's coming out in the spring, that it's the culmination of all these years of photographing your family and trying to figure out your place in your family and how you've put it together in different acts. And, and so that it becomes more fraught later on into the book as we get to 2016. But you know, most people really struggle with ways in which they feel, you know, if you're lucky, 
both really close to your family and also in ways alienated. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the nature of relationships in general. Mm -hmm. And so even though I don't have that with my family, there were many times, you know, reading through the proofs of, of your book, getting ready to talk with you today, that, you know, I just burst into tears. Now, crying is my superpower. I don't want to <laughs> brag, but... Um, <laughs> I am um, bizarrely weepy. Very healthy. But there's so many things that were just so moving to me that I was able to relate to, just having to do with with the ways in which I've felt that you know polarization, that incredible love, and then at times alienation, mm -hmm. and al also of course just there's so much love in your family in general for mm -hmm. each other, and that. You know that that's just very moving, and you know there's something really incredible about the way in which people can be so angry with each other and so disappointed mm -hmm. in one another and still really love each other. I mean, if if you don't mind, I'll just really quickly. This is sort of getting off photography a bit, but I, I can't resist. Um, <laughs> I mean, one of the most incredible things about that night where you showed these photographs of your family on a big screen. Were we at Town Hall? Yes, it was Town Hall. At, um, at Town Hall in New York City, where you showed these photographs and then you, you read this text that you'd written in a sort of slightly performative way that was just really beautiful and brilliant. But one of the things that was incredible is you're sort of, you know, you're sort of gently making fun of your parents going down the Trump hole. <laughs> And mm -hmm. instead of being angry about it, they're sitting there in the audience, and I know this because I was sitting five feet from them. They're sitting there in the audience, and, and they are, I mean, your dad particularly just was had tears <laughs> because he was so proud of you. <sighs> so you're saying these things where you're sort of, you know, on a big screen teasing your parents yeah. in front of thousands of people. <laughs> and your parents are just filled there's that's their little girl up there on stage. <laughs> I mean, it was just incredible. But it that just says everything about what you're talking about, right? All these conflicted feelings. Yeah. And anyway, you're able to capture all this in this project. I cannot wait for people to see this book. Oh. I cannot wait for it to come out. It's such an incredible project. Anyway, so what's so sorry? No, no. You know, thank me. you. It's I. I gotta say, I feel you are one of the first readers, and you only got three fourths of it. But I'm so relieved that you're having the response to it because, you know, you can look. I'm working with Leslie Martin, who is the best editor. You know, she's she's just she's brilliant. I called her yesterday, by the way. Let's just put this right in the podcast. I called Leslie, and I was like. I love it. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I hope she wasn't upset that I <laughs> gave it. She wasn't, okay, and good. I think she was really. I think she was really happy. She loves it. It's all good vibes. Okay, good. So you know, it is, and I mean, other people, other artists who are on your podcast talk about this too. It's like you are, you know, basically working in a vacuum. You know, aside from the people that you, you know, who become your think tank or what it, brain trust. Um, yeah. You know, you have your few trusted people, but so I'm just so relieved that you had that response being one of the first readers because it's been, it's really, really, really hard to get something right. You know, you just, every little detail changes in certain things can change a tone, a, a perspective. So it's just, it's very difficult to get something really right when you're walking a fine line. So it, it, 
I'm relieved. And especially something that's, I mean, what is it now, like eight? No, no, it's uh, 21 years of photographs. Yeah, 21 years, wow. And I'm sure I can't imagine that in doing this, you wouldn't feel an, such an enormous amount of pressure because this is like, oh yeah, this is a long birth. I mean, you and know, it's this my is family. a really, and it's your family, Yeah, which is, is really incredible. Um, how has, I mean, of course, you're not going to say anything bad, but... Um, <laughs> Well, I don't even know. I don't know what you're what about am I to gonna ask. Say? What are you well, about I was going to say, how has it been working on the book with Aperture? And like, you know, what's that process well, been like? Well, I but. have to say, I mean, with this body of work, Aperture was definitely the first place I went because I wanted to be very careful with this work, how it got put out into the world. And I knew that I could trust Aperture, that they would completely get it. I just feel like I'm in trusted hands with Aperture. And yeah, they would do right by this, especially with this sensitive body of work. So they've been, you know, I think, you know, Leslie really believes in giving, I think, the artist. It's such a collaboration, but she also really gives free reign for me to kind of do what I need to do and come back with, you know, even when she said in her podcast, like, she begins with what the artist first edit is the selection so mm -hmm. she's not micromanaging right. but she really does see the the bigger picture you know i've had yes. she's she's had to really she, she's tough and i need it she she's there's two pictures that i was very very married to and felt very connected to and she she just had to be like nope that is just not serving you and yep. i had to be like okay you're right. You actually see the bigger picture. I yeah. trust you and and you see it. You get it. So so that's you know, you have to trust somebody in order to take in that information. That's not always what you want to hear. Yeah, no, I mean I think Leslie really does have that's Leslie's superpower. Mm -hmm. Mine is crying and Leslie's <laughs> is <laughs> right. Leslie's is the ability to both absolutely be a like some people refer to certain film like narrative filmmakers as an actor's director mm -hmm. leslie is an artist's editor absolutely and at the same time because of that foundation because of the foundation that she is there to make sure you get the book you want that that you wanted to make mm -hmm. Because of that foundation, I think she engenders so much trust that when she does say, like, look, I got the book I wanted. Photo work is the book. It looks exactly everything mm. about it. I wanted it to be something that you could easily throw into your backpack that would like stand up to being tossed around a room, like something you could underline mm -hmm. in and everything, the two flaps to mark pages, I, yep. the blue color. It is exactly the book I dreamed about. Having said that, I thought there'd be photographs in it, and Leslie was like, nope, and she was absolutely right, And I, because, again, I trusted her so much uh -huh. as well that when she said no photographs, I knew she was right. Yep. <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, no photographs. Of course, no photographs. Yeah. So, you know, that's a really beautiful relationship, and it's, you know, we're all so lucky to, you know, to, to have her and, and Denise Wolf, who's mm -hmm. another top editor at Aperture who's just a genius and done, um, who, who, you know, a lot of the same things apply to, mm -hmm. to, to Denise. And so these are just, you know, really extraordinary people doing extraordinary work and helping 
to put out such wonderful jewels of books out to the world. Yeah. So let me just ask you, because I'm sure people will want to know this before we wrap up. So what is it like? Because you've had this just incredible commercial career as well as your fine art career. And how do they work together? How, how is this sort of, how, how, yeah, I mean, answer this however you yeah, want, how, so whatever of you course. think would be helpful. So I think that people really respond to, different editors who I've had relationships with, really respond to your personal work. So I think that from the get-go, I really was always pursuing my own projects. For instance, my first book actually with Aperture was from the Middle East and I was it was during the Second Antifada. And I just was incredibly passionate about doing work there. And then it just so happened that I would call every editor and let them know I'm gonna be here, you know, please if there's any work. So I would get assignment after assignment when I was there. So it just so happened that from the beginning, everything was really always dictated through, you know, started with what I was passionate about and what I was focusing on. You know, I think I got a lot of commissioned work to tell stories about families because of the work that I originally did with my family. One being, you know, after September 11th, I was put on assignment for Newsweek and Time Magazine for weeks to photograph people's families who lost loved ones in the towers. So really the work, the commission work that I get is so centric to what is in my, you know, soul and my, you know, what I care about, what I am passionate about. So I've been really lucky and that's continued. And so with the film, now that I started making films, there's a lot of need for video content. Right. For instance, I got a commission from Time Magazine to investigate, you know, this was in 2000. It started with Laverne Cox, but investigate trans, transgender in America through portraiture. And there was one person who I was really struck by. She was kicked out of the military because, because of being transgender. So I told Time, this is, this is a film. And they gave me the opportunity to actually make a short film about this person and and then two different other characters who were kicked out of the military for being transgender. So it's hard. There's not such a distinction between I won't take work that I don't believe in, truly, like even if it's ad work. I'm lucky that I get hired to do, you know, quality storytelling. And you photographed Stacey Abrams in Georgia. Was that connected I to did. your work? Yeah. I did. Well, look, that's also because I, you know, I have a relationship with Vanity Fair and I really want, I, Stacey Abrams is just, she is my hero. Yeah. She was doing work for Georgia and I got wind of her before she became, you know, a national figure. And I told Vanity Fair, please, like, I knew that it was an important election. I said, please, can I cover this? So there's times where I, you know, I reach out and ask because, you know, they have the means to commission. So that wasn't because they just thought of me. I actually was proactive about knowing that she would be important. So I covered her election for Vanity Fair. Do you think your genuine excitement and enthusiasm for subjects helps you get the jobs as well. Like it's not just you saying, I'd like to shoot this. It's like because people are getting from you such sincerity 
an interest in the subject that it's like more of a no-brainer for them to hire you? Do you think that plays a part? I mean, I think, yeah, I think people definitely, I mean, there's, look, I've gotten assignments where I know that I'm not that excited. And I I say to myself, I'm not, I shouldn't take this because I don't think I'm going to do such a great job because I'm not that excited about it. And sure enough, that gut, I shouldn't have taken it because it's actually mediocre. (laughs) You know, so I think that your passion really reflects how people respond to you and and your work really because yeah. if you're genuinely excited and interested you're going to you're going to do better work so let me ask you just going back to that word from earlier that I was interested in tribe what what is it why do you think because all of your work seems to be and if i may just say in uh Question two in the book, which is what are the key elements that must be present for you when you're creating a body of work? Um, You say the desire to tell stories and the capacity for intimacy. I care about and I make work that is itself social commentary. And I get very personal because the personal is always political and vice versa. My images become narratives that are always seeking a deeper understanding of the human condition, the family and tribe in all its forms. And I had underlined that when I read it, that word tribe, because I realized like, you make these bodies of work that are basically about tribes. What, why are you so drawn to tribes, do, do you think? You know, I think I haven't, I'm still drawn to it because I still haven't figured it out because it's like the paradox. There's something so, there's such positive things about tribes and there's, it's also, they're dangerous. Yeah. So I think I that concur. I am I'm trying to really understand that in micro and macro ways. And the family, you know, I look at all communities and, you know, extended families or, or all families as somewhat dysfunctional. So I'm kind of always trying to, <laughs> <laughs> to really yeah. look at that as well. I think dysfunction is a nice way of. <laughs> so, you know, I often ask people when I'm wrapping up if it's a satisfying life, what you do. But I, well, I mean, I'll ask you, you can answer. I, I mean, it, you've done such important work that I, I can't imagine it, it's anything but, but I'll, I'll let you answer that. So is, has this been a satisfying life? I, I definitely feel fulfilled, but it's also, you know, ask me which day there's, you know, it's been a pretty trying past eight months. And actually, you know, I, I appreciated what photography and being out there in the world really gives me because it was really taken away from me um, yeah. during the pandemic and and for so many people. So I really went through a deep depression those first few months of the pandemic for, you know, obvious reasons that everyone else was struggling with, but also because I couldn't do what I love to do. And it was very hard. And I remember my husband saying, when I picked up my camera for the first time, he was like, you have to do that more often. You are a different person when you are working. Because it gives you a sense of worth or because it, it's no, scratching I'm, an itch? or Yeah, it's just, it's like, it's like I'm working through something. I'm doing something. I'm I'm figuring something out through picture making. I'm engaging. It's, it's my therapy. I mean, I'm engaging. Yeah. It's, it's, for me, it's like about connection. Um, it's always been about connection and engagement. And that's what it, it gives me. Um, although I had a thousand more questions, I'm going <laughs> to uh, end it there. Because, you know, I, I know that when your book comes out, 
this spring, I'm, I'm, I'm going to want to talk to you again because there's, I think there's so much there. You're, you use a, a tremendous amount of text, but not in the way, it's not text in the form of other people's essays about the work. It's your writing. Did you, you find actually, it? Did you find it readable? Because I, my goal is that it's readable, that people don't look at it just as like, oh, captions that are on the side. It is so readable. Okay. It's so unbelievably engaging. And your voice is so strong and so clear in it. And I, I think it's just going to be wonderful to talk again. I think our listeners will really appreciate it. Hopefully, they'll get the book. And then, you know, we can talk about what it's like to put together a, a book with, with so much text and really get more, drill down on that more. But for today, I thank you so much thank for you so much. spending time with it's me. It's so great and to talk to you. Always amazing to talk to you. And, and be safe and thank tell... You. Flamingo and zebra, um, <laughs> otherwise known as your daughters, that I say hello and to behave. And I hope we get to see each other in that real time be amazing. soon. Um, big hug and, and thanks again, Joanne. Thank you, Sasha. Okay, bye. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and our theme music is by Jay Walter Hawks. You can hear Photo Work on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.